Good morning, everyone. It's a good day. The sun is shining. Hopefully, that will warm us up a bit. We want to welcome you, whether you're online or you're here, and especially if you're new here today. I'm going to open with a passage of scripture that I like to read to you. This is from Isaiah chapter 54, and I was reading it recently, and it just spoke to my heart. And it says in verse 10, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And I've just paused there for a moment. You know that when things happen in our lives, when our lives are shaken by something, we can depend on the fact that God's love for us will never be shaken that he's still watching us, that he's still loving us, and that he has compassion upon us, and that he will still give us his peace that passes understanding because we know he's holding our hand, he's holding us up through whatever we're having to go through. It goes on to read in verse 11, afflicted city lashed by storms and not comforted, I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapis lazuli, I will make your battlements of rubies and your gates of sparkling jewels and all your walls precious stones. Now here he speaks of rebuilding. You know, sometimes life tears things down, but God always rebuilds better. Because he says in his word that he makes all things good, but that he also turns all things for our good. And then it ends by saying, all your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. You know, God sees beyond us and our needs and what we're going through. He rebuilds us. He restores us so much better than it was before. But he's always thinking of the next generation. He's thinking of our children and of their children. And of of his work in our lives makes a difference in their lives. Let's stand together so we can pray this morning before we worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your great love for us, a love that never ends. Help us to remember in times of trouble that it, that trouble does not mean you don't love us anymore. On the contrary, you want to walk with us through the fire, through the high water, walk with us through the storms to see us on the other side. And then whatever those storms take away, we thank you that you are the rebuilder and that you make precious things out of things that were ashes And we pray today for our children. We see them here up front. And um, we ask you, Lord, for the next generation, that you would just place your hand upon them, that you would build within them a heart to know you, to love you, to always look to you, and to depend on you. We pray for them because the, the world depends upon this generation, Lord. And so touch these precious little ones and bless them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
shadows have no power over me. Fear is empty. Shame has no future and my home. 
Sometimes we come to church and we're just a little flat. So that's not, that's not a rebuke. That's just sometimes we're a little flat. And there's, there should be more joy from Jesus in our hearts, should there not be? A little more excitement about what Jesus is doing in our lives. So let's go ahead and take just a couple seconds and pray. Give me something in the background. I'm messing everybody up. I got a sermon that's hot, and I, 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 I got to go into it that way. Father, it's so easy to just come go through the motions and just sing the songs and do it without the Spirit of God. It's so easy to just come to church and attend and not let what you've been doing in our hearts be this during the week be active on our gathering so father I'm not sure what's happening today I just know these good people are either going through something that's holding them back or maybe they need to be going through something to light a fire under them. You are worthy of praise. Loud, obnoxious praise. You are worthy of our surrender, of our sacrifice, of our service to you and to each other. And I'm excited about being together as a, as a church family. So Father, would you just take the burdens that's on them right now and just remove it from them? Just take the problems of the week or the problems that are coming up in the week and let them set them aside for just a few moments so we can experience you in a way that our lives might be hindering. Open our hearts up to you today, Father. Open our hearts up to you today, Father. Open our hearts up to you today, Father. We really believe that you change things. That this gathering should be a, a, a corporate gathering of people who are excited about Jesus Christ. And some of us are weary and tired. So give us an energy that is not manufactured, but does come from you. In Jesus we pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to give you a couple of minutes to just lay, lay down your burdens today. Whatever's burdening you, whatever's weighing on you, whatever's keeping you from being a worshiper of God this morning.
just release it today. Maybe it's religion. Could you lead us in to worship you, I live? To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. Lord, to worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. Lord, I Doesn't that feel better? Let's do that again, Deborah. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. I get it. Sometimes we just get held down, and I just I, I couldn't go much farther that way. I think God deserves better from me. And from us. Keep going. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. Lord, to worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. Let's worship him this morning. Let's do that. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. One more time. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. Every day, you're my reality. 
That was better. <laughs> Y'all may be seated. Let's dismiss the kids at this time. Have a great time in class, guys. Angelo's got his running shoes on, so run him. <laughs> I am Joey this morning because Joey's out doing security, and so uh, let me give you some announcements real quick. We have a men's fellowship on March 13th at 6 p.m. That's not this Monday, but the next Monday, and so the sign-up's out at the... Uh, welcome table. We have a women's fellowship on March 24th. That's a Friday night at 6 p.m. Uh, you don't have to sign up for that. You just got to show up for that. We're trying to get the old people to get to know the young people and the young people to get to know the old people. Amen. So just that's what we're trying to accomplish. Um, spring forwards next Sunday. So don't be late. Just next Sunday. Um, Easter is April 9th. We're not sure where we're having it yet, but we'll know more after this week. And I just want to read a passage of scripture from, for the offering. I got to put my glasses on. So you okay? I can't see a thing. The point is this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's a biblical principle. The more you sow, the more you reap. The less you sow, the less you reap. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We're not trying to push you into giving. That's up to you. We're not trying to compel you. We're not trying to, to push you. You're going to do what you're going to do within your heart. God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to be happy about it. So, and I won't say that. But it also goes on in verse 9 to say, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Literally saying, God will take care of you. But what you sow is what you reap. Let's pray for the offering. There's four ways to give. They'll put it on the wall, but let's pray. Father, out there somewhere is one of your children that don't believe they have much to offer. But you're looking at their heart. But out there, there's also one of your children that might have more to offer that is holding back. So Father, speak to their hearts that they will believe what your word says, that you reap what you sow, and that we would be cheerful about our trust in you and our obedience to your word. And then, Father, I just ask that you help us to be wise with what is given, that we make a difference in this community through the gospel. 
Thank you for taking care of us so wonderfully. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Are you ready for today? Are you sure? Judges chapter 7 and verse 9. Make sure I don't step on those. We are in a series that seems like it's lasting forever. We started in November. I, I believe this about preaching. I don't believe it's just teaching you different things to kind of expose you to what the scripture says about this subject or that subject. I believe when God speaks to the, the preacher, he's speaking in a way to say, this is what my people need at this moment. So I don't believe this series is just another series that we did just because I had nothing else to preach and I wanted to have something consistent for the next six months. I believe he was trying to get this church, and I'm not, I can't speak for other churches, but he's trying to get this church to move in his direction with what he wants. So he gives sermons for that purpose. And so we're in, the, the series is another day, but we've been spending, what, the last six months in the day before another day, before we even got to that day. And then last week we started the night before another day because tomorrow's the day. It's actually next Sunday is the day we're going to talk about war and, and, and battle and how to get victory over that. But we got one more thing that we have to get to before we get to that point. So the title of the sermon today is Listen to the Enemy to Gain Clarity. And that'll make more sense. It'll gain more clarity as I preach the message. But it's out of Judges chapter 7 and verses 9 through 15. And we're not going to read it at this point in time. We're going to read through it in, in the sermon. But I just want to share with you several things fascinate me about this passage of Scripture. How God chose to speak to Gideon fascinates me. How he used the man of God. He used the word of God who is Jesus. And he used the spirit of God to speak the word of God to Gideon. It fascinates me how Gideon doubted so much that God could use his humble heritage. And some of you, you doubt that God could use you because you're not this or that. So you doubt that he'll use your humble heritage. He doubted that Jesus was who he really was that had to be proven through uh, uh, signs. That he needed two sides of the fleece. You would think that one test would be enough, but no, we always have to test God more than we should. That Gideon believed he needed more than he really did. He had 135,000 that he was going up against as an enemy. So he had 32,000, thought that was good. God took it down to 20 or 10,000, and then he took it down to 300. God can do a lot with a little. Amen? Amen. But it just amazes me how Gideon doubted. Before he honestly gained enough confidence to go into battle, he needed to hear over and over and over again that God was with him and that God was for him. Which I'm not saying that's bad because we do that with God all the time. God, you need to, you need to show me again, show me again, show me again, show me again. But isn't it, if we really believe in God, isn't that a little unnecessary to keep asking God to prove himself to you? If God is who we believe God is, why, are we, why do we keep asking him over and over and over again, prove, me, prove it to me, prove it to me, prove it to me. I'll do it once you prove it enough to me. Again, I'm not saying it's bad because I do it myself. But it is a bit unnecessary. 
And I think there's reasons for Gideon's doubts, and we're going to kind of talk about that today. So we're going to break this down simply first, this passage of Scripture. And what we're going to learn is Gideon had God's promise. Let's look at verse 9, Judges chapter 7 and verse 9. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. I have given it into your hand. That's predetermined victory. Wasn't that last week we talked about predetermined victory? God was saying, I've already determined that you're going to win. I've already predetermined your victory. How many of you say that would be enough? God just saying one time, trust me, obey me, you're going to win. How many of you would be honest and say, I, I'll do that the first time? Truth is, most of us don't. Gideon actually had seven promises of God. I am the Lord your God, he says in verse 10 of chapter 6. The Lord is with you, verse 12 of chapter 6. God, I'm, go, go for I'm sending you, verse 14 of chapter 6. But I'll be with you, chapter 6, verse 16. Peace be to you, you shall not die. Chapter 6, verse 20. I mean, if that was what God gave you, that should be enough, right? You're not going to die. With the 300 who left, I'll save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Chapter 7, verse 7. And this one that we're going to be going into now, arise, go down to the camp for I'm giving it into your hand. Chapter 7, and verse 9. Seven times God said, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. But that wasn't enough. And this is, this is the, to me, the funny part about scripture. I think God kind of laughs a little bit at us. Because Gideon still lacked confidence. Verse 10 of chapter 7 says, But if you are afraid, seven times God promises. Seven times God leads. Seven times God says, I'm with you. I'll go with you. I'm sending you. I'm going to give you victory. I'm gonna, you've already won. Seven times. But if you're, if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp of Pura, your servant. I don't fully understand why we do this, but I do see the grace of God in the numerous times he tries to encourage Gideon to have courage. I'd like to think that God does that with me. That even though I may not see it, God sees a mighty man or a mighty woman of valor. That though I might see my, my failures and my weaknesses, but God sees my strengths. And God is kind enough to keep trying to help me see him. He's over and over again revealing himself to me, show, showing me and telling me truths and promises that he is real and he is true and I can trust him. And here's the key as far as I'm concerned to the whole series, the whole passage of scripture, Judges 6, 7, and 8. Because the Bible says in Judges 7, 11, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, and the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. So God tells Gideon, go listen to the enemy to gain clarity. If you're not going to listen to me, God says. God says, if you're not going to listen to my word, if you're not going to trust what I say, go listen to the enemy, and that'll give you clarity. Clarity always gives confidence to face the challenges in front of us. Is that not true? 
When we're clear that God is speaking to us, when we're clear what God is saying, when we understand this is what God says, thus saith the Lord, we can go, I'll trust that, I'll obey it, I'll follow it. Y'all better get into this or I'm going to get on it. (laughs) Confusion never leads to courage, but clarity always does. So I don't know how many times God has to say to you, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. I think that was seven. Listen to the enemy to gain clarity. That'll make more sense in a minute. God also tells Gideon to get close enough to to the enemy to hear a whisper. Get close enough to the enemy to hear a whisper. Judges chapter 7 and verse 12 The scripture says, and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that's on the seashore in abundance. And when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. Now, I don't know about you. I don't scream my dreams when I'm talking to my wife. I don't go to her and say, this is a dream that I had. I tend to be a little bit quieter about it because I don't want to freak her out. So it's just conversation, but this is an enemy. So you're going to have a personal distance a little bit from your enemy, but you've got to be close enough so it sounds like a whisper. Are you with me? And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and it turned and turned it upside down so that my tent, so that the tent lay flat. To understand this passage, you've got to get into it for a moment. Get close enough to the enemy that you can see how big they are. Have you ever gotten that close to your enemy? God is telling Gideon, you will not listen to me. You will not listen to my word. So now, to gain clarity, listen to the enemy. But get close enough to find out just how big that enemy is. So close that you can hear an enemy's personal conversations. Gideon had to get so close that he could hear a conversation between two army buddies who were not screaming at the top of their lungs, I dreamed a dream. It's not Martin Luther King. And Gideon in in this, well, I'll say it this way, so close that you can hear the enemy's personal conversation. And Gideon heard his name in the enemy's dreams. Now, it's one thing to listen to another man's dreams, but then to have them dreaming about you, that's kind of a little weird. <laughs> Verse 17, and his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. This is none other than the sword of Gideon. There is no evidence to the fact that the Midianites knew anything about Gideon. In fact, what we know about Gideon is he was kind of virtually unknown. He was not a mighty warrior. He was not known uh, throughout the world as a warrior for Israel. The scripture don't teach that. In fact, when God first called him, he was was hiding um, from the enemy. You don't worry about somebody who hides from the enemy. And it could be that there was a spy in the camp but there's no evidence of that. So that means this. We only have to have what the word of God says. So without that evidence, we have to assume that from the scripture, what it teaches is that the dream came from God and God gave it to the enemy on purpose. The dream came from God to the enemy on purpose. 
And he mentioned in the dream Gideon's name. And this dream became the deciding factor to Gideon obeying God. We're going to get into the preaching in a minute. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped and returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hands. So he finally repeated what God had already said to him in verse 9. Which made me wonder. Why did the dream become the deciding factor in gaining confidence to follow God? Why will we listen to a dream when we won't listen to the voice of God itself? Why will we listen to the dream of an enemy, of an ungodly people, before we listen to the word of God himself? So we're going to take a few moments. We're going to break down the dream by examining the imagery because God gives some specific imagery in this passage of scripture. Go back to verse 13. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, it was a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent and struck it, so it fell, and it turned upside down, so that the tent lay flat. So let's break that down. A cake of barley bread. You would say, what's a cake of barley bread? Barley bread was only eaten by the poor, and by many definitions, the humble. In fact, it was fed to cows and poor people. So it, it, it's a, it, it, by its definition, it's something that would be eaten by the humble or the poor. And it tumbled. To tumble is to suddenly and awkwardly and uncontrollably roll into somebody. Have you ever done that? Like you've just been awkwardly fell into somebody in, in church, right? You sat down and you missed the chair and you knocked six people over and you just, and it humbled you? Am I the only one that does that? Or maybe, maybe um, somebody says good job and you don't know how to handle it and you awkwardly respond. Somebody says, you've done a good job. And you're like, no. <laughs> you're just so awkward because you're being humble. Tumbled into the camp of Midian, overturning the enemy's camp. So this tumbling cake of barley bread destroyed the temporary place of the enemy. And it was complete annihilation. These were the enemy's temporary homes, but personal space. And yet this cake of barley bread rolled into it, knocked it over and totally destroyed it. The fourth thing I want you to know here about this passage before we really get into it is this story was not shared by a man of God, the word of God or the spirit of God. It was shared by a Midianite source. It was shared by an ungodly source. Again, I ask the question, why do we trust what other people say and we don't trust what God says? Why do we as a people put more faith in what man says than what God says? So God has to speak through an enemy to get us to understand what, what he's saying. So let's examine the interpretation of the dream if we really want to understand it because I can tell you guys are really slow with me today. I'm really excited about the word of God. Can you, can you get that? I'm really excited about what God is saying to this congregation. So let's examine the interpretation of the dream. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man, a man of Israel. And God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. 
He says, this, this is no other, meaning this is the only answer. The only answer to what's happening is this. As the interpreter of the dream, he says, this is the only thing it could be. This, there, it couldn't be anything else but the sword of Gideon. What was he talking about? This is no other. He's talking about a cake of barley bread that rolled into the camp and knocked the camp over. So the sword of Gideon was a cake of barley bread, a picture of humility. Are you with me? The only answer to the dream is a cake of barley bread that's a sword that annihilated the enemy. Cake of barley bread, picture of humility. Humility annihilated the enemy. Are you with me? Are we tracking? Humility annihilated the enemy. That's the picture that God has given to Gideon. So what's the enemy of humility? Anybody want to guess? Pride. See, so you already know the answer. Why am I preaching? Let's go home. Pride is the enemy of humility. Is it not true that humility is sometimes awkward? The other day I, I, I did something stupid and somebody got upset at me and so I said, I'm sorry. And they were still upset at me so I said, I'm sorry. So they were still upset at me and I said, sorry. And I felt really awkward saying I'm sorry a hundred times. But, that has, it's, but it's awkward. Humility is awkward. To confess that you failed or done wrong and didn't mean to. It's, it's just there's this awkward tension there. Humility defeats the temporary space that an enemy takes up in your head. Sometimes somebody says something to you and they take up space in your brain. And humility defeats that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Some of you are still dealing with something that was said to you as a child. You still haven't gotten victory over it. It's just taken up residence in your brain. And humility will remove that from you. But it's awkward. And humility can be required when dealing with an ungodly source. Especially when they're pointing you towards the truth of the word of God. The children of Israel were in this position. If we go back to the beginning of this series, the children of Israel were in this position because of pride. They believed they could worship God, Yahweh, and Baal, the false god. They rejected the word of God. They neglected to be obedient to the word of God because they wanted to worship false gods and true gods. They worshiped the God of salvation, Yahweh, and the God of sustenance, Baal. Where the God of Yahweh is also the God of sustenance and salvation. Amen? We established that in November. Right before Thanksgiving or right after Thanksgiving, one of those two. Yet Gideon kept asking God for signs. Why? Because of pride. He didn't want to surrender to the word of God. He just wanted to keep asking questions. Well, God, prove this to me and prove this to me. And here's a fleece. Now, let do something on the other side of that. And, and let me listen to it. Let me hear what the enemy's got to say. Do you know the problem with pride is every war that's ever been started has begun because of one man's pride? Throughout history, it is stated that it's, all wars are started by one man's pride. 
The first war recorded in heaven was started by Satan. Why? Because of pride. The first war on earth was started by Cain. Why? Because of pride. Pride is the cause of war. Pride is the reason why the children of Israel were being attacked was because of their pride, because they didn't want to worship and obey the word of God. They wanted to obey them, their false gods. For Gideon to have victory, he was going to have to fight pride with humility because humility will defeat the enemy, which is clarity. Let me say it one more time. For Gideon to have victory in his life, he would have to fight pride with humility because that's how you fight pride with humility, according to, to God. Because humility will defeat the enemy, which is clarity. Let me say it this way. The promise of God's word is not enough to defeat the enemy. Pride. Just because you know what the Bible says and even do what the Bible says doesn't mean you're not doing it with a prideful intent. It takes humility to the promise of God. It takes a surrender or an obedience to the word of God to get victory over what is prideful. It is humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord and obeying what the scriptures teach before you get victory over the enemy, which is pride. Let me make that even more clear. What if Israel's real enemy wasn't the Midianites, but their own pride? Simplest definition of pride is making your situation all about you, and Israel was famous for that. What if your real enemy is not the friend that betrayed you, but your pride? What if it's not really the friend that betrayed you? What if it's your pride that's your real enemy? What if your real enemy is not the family member that hurt you, but your pride? Okay, we're warming up now. I am not saying that the enemy is your fault or you deserve poor treatment. Please do not twist the scriptures or, or twist my words to say that I'm saying it's okay to be treated poorly. I'm not saying that. Because remember we studied that the innocent sometimes are punished with the guilty. Sometimes the innocent suffer with the guilty. Why? Because of humanity. We deal with people. I am saying that I wonder if you have real clarity about who your enemy really is in your life. See, it doesn't do us any good to talk about getting victory over, over an enemy if you don't even know who your real enemy really is. Yep. And if I'm Satan, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sidetrack you and I'm going to make your enemy something that it's not. Because then you won't get full victory, you'll just get partial victory over an enemy that's not really your enemy. See, it might not be the person you're fighting, but the pride that you're feeling that's your enemy. I'm going to let you guys soak in that one for a minute. It might not be the person you're fighting, but the pride that you're feeling that's the real enemy. I'm not saying you don't have a real enemy out there because some of you are facing some things that, 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 is, that are very real. But I'm wondering if you have clarity about what is your true enemy and what is not. You might think your enemy is your boss. Didn't give you the raise, didn't give you the increase, didn't give you the hours you wanted. But you know, the problem could have been your pride. It may not have been the boss's fault at all. He was just actually doing the job that he's hired to do. 
But you get mad at the boss and say, well, he's not treating me well. You know, it could be your pride. You could be making it all about you. He might be treating you unfairly. I get that. I'm not saying that sometimes bosses don't treat you fairly. But could it be that possible? Could it be a possibility that your real enemy might be your pride? You might think it's your friend, but you know, it could be your pride. Your friend might just be who they actually are and you're just offended that day because it hurt your pride. Okay. You might think your problem is your spouse. The enemy is your spouse. You know, it could be your pride. How dare they talk to me that way? Yeah, they probably shouldn't have talked to you that way, but that doesn't mean they're the real enemy. They're your spouse for crying out loud. They committed to death till death do you part. Now that might come sooner than later if you guys keep it up the way you're going. (laughs) But it might not be your spouse that's the real problem. The real enemy might be your pride that you're feeling because you feel disrespected or dishonored. You might think it's your church that's your enemy. Have you ever thought that it might be your pride? Most church hurts that I find are not because of the problems that the church is is caused. It's because of your pride was affected. The pastor interrupted the worship set. And it offended me. Because I was really into worship. Because I was really into worship. That means the worship was about you, not about him. I was just trying to bring it back to him. I might not be your enemy. It might be your pride. I might be. I'm not that foolish. Teenagers might think it's your parents. My parents are my enemy. They won't let me do what I want to do. That's why, why you're a parent. To stop your kids from doing stupid things. But you think the parents are the problem and the problem is your pride because you think you have more authority than you have. Amen? Come on, parents, stick with me here. Help me out. You're not trying to be your child's enemy. And the problem is the pride. It's not humility. Otherwise, they'd surrender to your leadership. See, the scriptures in this story are teaching an aspect of God that says the only way to defeat the enemy of pride is through humility. And pride is our real enemy. Pride is our real enemy. Where we make everything about us. How people treat us wrong and how people do this wrong and how people do this. And how I'm not getting the praise that I deserve and I'm not getting the pats on the back and I'm not getting the glory and the honor. And so I'm mad. I'm mad at people because they treat me poorly. Sounds like your problem might be pride. The only way to defeat the enemy of pride is through humility. And pride's our real enemy. The best example for this in the New Testament for me was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now I'm going to say something some of you are going to think is heresy, but it's not. Just listen to me. Don't back out mentally or emotionally until I'm done 
talking, which will be in about an hour. <laughs> Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was facing an occupying enemy of the Romans who ruled God's people. The Romans ruled God's people, and that was the enemy, an enemy to him. And he also faced an obnoxious enemy, the religious, who ruined God's people. So he had the enemy of the Romans, and he had the enemy of the religious. One ruled and one ruined God's people. But the religious were not his enemy. He faced an obstinate enemy, and that was the disciples, who wrestled with God's plan at every turn. He was dealing with humans like you and like me. And sometimes we're obstinate when, when God says this is going to happen. We say, oh no, that, that could never happen. If it's God's plan, it's going to happen. But see, the Romans and the religious and the disciples were not his enemy. I'm going to say that Jesus' real enemy was, was in his humanity was pride because he had to fight it or fail in this situation. Let me give you the verse. Mark chapter 14 and verse 36. Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. See, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but with every, every with, with, I'm sorry, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. If I struggle with pride, Jesus had to experience that himself. Now, the cool thing about Jesus is he said, immediately he said, uh, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I will, but you be, your will be done. I'm trying to get my King James mixed in with my ESV. We're, we often don't respond that quickly. We let our pride fall into sin. Imagine how different our lives would be if Jesus didn't win his battle with humility. Or his battle with pride, using humility. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even on a death on a cross. The apostle Paul said we should be like Jesus and fight pride with humility so that we can live in victory. The question is, who's your real enemy? Who's your real enemy? See, I believe pride is the enemy of every Christian home. Every Christian home, the problem is pride. I believe every Christian church, the enemy is not the church. The enemy is pride. I believe the enemy of every Christian relationship, every Christian relationship is pride. Pride is the enemy of every Christian life. Our biggest problem in life is going to be the enemy called pride. We're going to wrestle with it every day. Because we're constantly thinking about ourselves and putting ourselves above others, even the things of God. 
Pride makes us insensitive to others. It blinds us to the truth of God's word. It makes presumptions in our expectations. It prompts us to be carnal. It discounts the value of others. It overestimates our abilities. Pride usurps the rightful place of others. It causes strife and dissension. It makes us worldly. It manifests in the opposite of what scripture teaches, which we are supposed to be servants of the most high God, not to be served by the most high God. But pride says, why isn't God doing this for me? Pride. Pride always stifles love. Number one problem in your marriage is pride. Number one problem in your marriage is pride. Number one problem in your Christian life is pride. Number one problem in your church life is pride. Pride's the problem. The problem is, is we're not listening to the enemy to gain clarity. We're not being honest with what God is saying to us this morning. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. What's the enemy saying to you? What's the enemy saying to you? Sorry, I got to get this put in my back pocket. There we go. The only reason the enemy was there was because of Israel's pride. And Gideon would not believe the word of God until he heard it from this passage of scripture. What's the enemy saying to you? Could it be? Can we just be honest this morning? Standing before an almighty God, could it be that the problem in your life is pride? That you're making everything about you. Gideon had to have assurance after assurance after assurance that it would, God, that it would be okay for him. What if God wanted him to give his whole life for the children of Israel? That he was going to die for the children of Israel? Wouldn't his pride say, no, I got to protect me. I got to take care of me. No, no, no. He's supposed to surrender under the will of God, not under his own will. What is it that you're asking God to pass from you? That you should be saying to him, not my will. Not my will, but thine be done. It's not about me. How different would your marriage be if you just said to each other, it's not about me. It's not about mine. How different would your family be if it wasn't about you all the time? See, the enemy just keeps raising his head up and we keep thinking that's not the problem. The problem's my spouse. The problem's my church members. My problem's my pastor who won't shut up. When the problem might just be you. Gideon's real enemy was pride.
If you want real clarity, get this. The only reason the enemy is there is because of Israel's pride. And it could be the only reason you're facing an enemy right now. The only reason you're looking at people in the way that you're looking at them is because of pride. And I'm not saying that you don't have real enemies. I'm going to say that over and over again. You might have real enemies. And some of you right now are justifying that in your mind. When the truth is, it might just be you. Welcome to New Life. I'm glad you came today. But could you imagine how different your life would be if you could defeat pride? Stop getting offended at everybody. Stop feeling like you got to be defensive all the time. Stop holding on to things that was said to you years ago and you're just hanging on to it. If we are a saved people, our thoughts ought to be formed in humility and be servants, not served. So who's your real enemy today? Let's stand. Who is the real enemy and what's he saying to you? Wouldn't it be great this morning to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord so he can lift you up? That he can lift that weight that's been on you about your pride, about your hurt feelings, about the problems that you're facing. And the problem really might be that it's, it's you. How different would your home be if it was constantly getting victory over pride? How different would your church relationship be with people and with, with the church? I say this to everybody who wants to deconstruct the church. I say, let's start with humility. Stop thinking you know how to carry out God's plan. And just humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Let him lift you up. Let's pray. Father, I spent the week in this and I've wrestled with my own pride and my own, but the enemy just kept saying it over and over again. It's not about me. Or I'm sorry, the enemy kept saying it is about me, but you kept saying it's not about me. I need victory over pride. It is an enemy that I struggle with on a daily basis, making everything about me. But I want to live in victory by living through humility. I want to walk daily with a God who has humbled himself. And became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. So maybe today we need to crucify our flesh today. Surrender our pride, surrender our self-centeredness. And humbly come before you. And offer our lives up to our spouses offer our lives up to our parents, offer our lives up to our 
children, offer our lives up to our church, offer our lives up to our community, to our jobs, to our bosses, whatever you're asking us to surrender our lives to. You've given Gideon seven promises that you are with him, that you are for him, that you are about him. But pride can even take that, Father, and we can say, it's all about me. No, 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 it's about how God is for you. God is with you. It's about you and who you are to us. Help us to surrender our lives to you this morning. Help us, Father. Please do me a favor with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you've got a problem with pride, that pride's your enemy, humble yourself and come to this altar and lay it down for Jesus. Now, everyone's going to be afraid because pride's saying, don't go down there. They're going to think that you're prideful. We're, we're all prideful. Come on, let's surrender that pride today. Let's humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. Let him lift us up. Lay that pride down. Let it be your sword. Let humility be your sword today. To defeat an enemy that's been beating you up for years. Just a simple cake of barley bread defeated the an overwhelming enemy. Come on, let's humble ourselves this morning. Come on, let's humble ourselves this morning. Come on now. This is one of the few times that we're actually talking about you. That you need to gain some clarity that your real enemy might just be you. And God wants to give you victory. Think about that for a moment. How freeing would it be to live life for others and not about yourself? And I know your thought is, well, what about me? Let God take care of you. Let God bless you. He's the Lord your God. He is with you. He's sending you. He, he's with you. Don't fear. You're not going to die. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, you don't got to worry about death. By a little, I'll save you. But you got to go down to the camp and listen to the enemy to gain clarity.
Father, this Father, this is where victory is won and lost in moments like this. Where your spirit is trying to speak to us about a word that you prepared months ago. And there's a scripture in this room speaking to us about God. But there's a sin that's separating us from God. And that sin just might be pride. God resists the proud and only gives grace to the humble. There's a Savior sent to bring us back to God. His name is Jesus, who humbled himself, surrendered to God's will for the payment for our sins. And that son was sacrificed to satisfy God's justice. But there's a step of faith. You must confess your sin. Calling out to the Savior to be your God. Could you imagine being God telling you over and over again, confess your sin, confess your sin, especially in the area of pride. And you won't. There is a spirit, the spirit of God who will wash away your sin. Which is the presence of God who will bring God to you. And if God is indwelling you, it should humble you. So this room, if you are a Christian and the Spirit of God is indwelling you, you should be humbled at this moment. God should be speaking to you. But some of you aren't going to listen. You're going to have to listen to an enemy to gain clarity. Because you will not listen to the Word of God. You refuse to hear what He's saying to you, to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Father, I've gone as far as I can today. I would prefer people to surrender in humility than to be surrendered to something that would cause them to humble themselves. Because humbling comes with humiliation and none of us need more humiliation in our lives. If we would just surrender our lives to you today, surrender our hearts to you today. If your enemy is your spouse, maybe, maybe the real enemy is your pride. Surrender that today. You think it's your parents. It, it could be your pride. Surrender that today. You could be mad at the church for being who she is. Could the problem be, just could it be 
that the problem is pride. Holy Spirit, speak to them. Thank you for revealing what the enemy said to me. Because I want to defeat that enemy in my life. Fathers, people are still praying. There's going to be some that are going to walk out and go home. Don't let this word leave their minds. Let it continually speak into them as they speak with their spouses, as they speak with their kids, as they speak with their parents, as they speak with their bosses. Help them to gain clarity so that they might have victory over an enemy that seems invincible. And all you used was a cake of barley bread, a surrender. To you. We love you so. We look forward to how you're going to work in our lives. With heads bowed and eyes closed. How many just be honest with me and say, Pastor Andy, pray for me. I'm struggling with pride. Pride's a problem. Amen. Amen. God, be free today. Just, just, Fight self and surrender to the Savior. Fathers, we leave this place, we leave this place with you still in our hearts and minds.